Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. Today is Mother's Day. If you didn't know, it's not too late to call your mom, okay? If you've been reading along with us in the Immerse series, uh, actually our readings, the first chapter, first, chap- first uh, Samuel chapter 1, it opens and it begins by focusing on a mom. And the mom's name is Hannah. And that's, that's the focus of what we're going to be, be talking about today. And if, if you've been reading through, you know that it focuses on the birth of Samuel. Samuel is often referenced as one of the greatest godly leaders in the Bible. Samuel is the, is the prophet that God would use to put kings in place in Israel, first with uh, King Saul and then King David. Uh, Samuel is also, he's the prophet whose walk with God begins by speaking the words that echo in my heart that we prayed earlier. It's those words, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Would you just say that if that's your heart today? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Those words, they continue to echo and have given me wonderful language in my walk with the Lord. Uh, Samuel was also, he was the last in the line of Israel's judges, and he's considered by many theologians as the greatest judge. Uh, Samuel is also cited alongside of Moses and Aaron as men who called on God, and they were answered. David records this in Psalm 99. Because of his powerful prayer life, uh, Samuel is also cited as one of Israel's greatest intercessors. What that meant is if you had a need, you go to Samuel and say, Samuel, can you pray with me? Can you pray for me? And he was also part of transitioning the nation of Israel from a group of tribes ruled by judges into a unified kingdom that would be ruled by King David in Jerusalem. But again, as we begin this, for all the great things that Samuel would do and all the great things that he would, would do, we look at how things start. Because how things start and how things begin are very important. They lay the foundation for a life, don't they? And so 1 Samuel begins not by focusing on someone who had great power or someone who had great position, but it begins by focusing on a mother, and the mother's name was Hannah. See, mothers have great influence over their children. Before a child is born, it's the mother who feels them growing inside. You know, we have uh, several moms about to give birth here. <laughs> Not today, but maybe, you know. Um, but, and they come up, they talk about how the baby's kicking or the baby's punching or the baby's moving or the baby's doing this or the baby's keeping me up all night. And many moms would say, well, get used to that. <laughs> so, uh, because they're connected. They're connected to them physically. They're connected to them emotionally. If the mother is happy, the child, the child feels their joy. If the mother is going through stress, the child feels that, and that's reciprocated. Realizing the importance of a mother in raising a powerful leader like Samuel, I want us to pay attention today that when God was laying out his plan, he chose Hannah. He chose Hannah, and you may ask, well, why did he choose Hannah? Well, as we'll soon see, God, God didn't choose Hannah because of the resume that she had. You know, a lot of times when we're hiring people, and for us today, um, I almost forgot one important announcement. I'm going to interject it right here as we talk about resumes, okay? We have just hired a new children's director. Amen? Amen, amen. Sorry, tech team, I'm way off script today. I'm thinking about, yeah, thank you. Um, you know, way off script today, but they're like, you always are off script. So, um, But we have a brand new children's director. She just graduated from Northwest University. So all the Northwest University grads go, yay. Her name is Isabel Hoyne, 
and uh, she'll be joining us. She just graduated. We're working at those dates, but she'll be joining us towards the end. That, this is a picture of her right there. So just, just, just graduated. She'll be joining us towards the end of May. Uh, she also has a heart for young adults and has a background in graphic arts. So we'll be talking more about her and bringing her in, but I wanted to bring that in. She has an incredible resume. <laughs> But as we, but back to Hannah, back to Hannah, as we continue this, uh, this uh, thing we're doing here today. Back to Hannah. Hannah didn't have a resume. See, in that day, your resume was built by the amount of children you had or what you did. And as, well, as if you've been reading through, you, you know that Hannah was barren. But I want us to pay attention that God, we look on the outside, but we see through a scripture that what does God look at? God looks at the heart. God doesn't look at the positions that we hold. God looks at the posture that we have before him because this is the big idea for today. The big idea that we need to get in our hearts today is that true power comes not from the position that we have in society. This is not where our power comes from, but it comes from our posture before God. We see this throughout scripture that power and influence, it's not about the position that we hold in society. It's not about any of those things but it comes down to what is our posture before God. See, when we think about power and influence, we tend to think about the position that someone has or the need to be an influencer on social media, those that they have a voice or they have the voice at work. See, for us, our success is often measured by our numbers at work or our numbers of friends or the number of followers that we have or how many people like my post of Stanley on social media. And thank you for all of you who've done that. You've done a lot for my security. See, we think about those that when they speak, right, everyone listens. When they post, everyone likes it, everyone loves it, everyone shares it. In other words, we tend to focus on those who are popular, those that have a spotlight on them. Like, that's a very successful person. But if this was the measure for Hannah, then Hannah was in real trouble. When we read the Bible, it's so important for us to contextualize, meaning that we need to look at the context that it was written. And when we look at the Old Testament, when we look at the ancient world, in the ancient world, a woman's worth was rated by the children that she had. It was by her ability to have children. And with Hannah, she had a huge desire. She prayed for children. But when we find Hannah here in the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 1, we find that, Heron, that, that uh, Hannah was barren. She was un- physically unable to have children. And because of this, this meant that Hannah had no position in her society. And in fact, this meant that Hannah had a very low position in society. It, 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 it made her be in a position where she was often judged and criticized by everybody. Her second-class citizenship status is clearly seen in chapter 1 because of this inability, because we see it right in verse 4 that because of this, Hannah received less. That when it came time to hand out food, the Bible says that she received less of those choice cuts. We also see in the beginning of chapter 1 that because of this, Hannah was made fun of. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 6 says, So Peninnah would taunt... Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Verse 7 says, year after year, it was the same. Peninnah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. It says that each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Do you hear the pain in that? And before we move on, this is a great opportunity just to kind of dig into some Old Testament theology 
Because we see this name Peninnah. Well, who was Peninnah? Peninnah was Elkanah's other wife. <gasps> All right? And this is a good opportunity to address a question that many have asked. A lot of times when I'm talking to skeptics or I'm talking to people who are questioning the Bible, they'll point to things in the Bible and they'll point to polygamy and they'll say, they'll say Pastor Duane, you know, was was polygamy endorsed by God in the, in the Old Testament? We, we, we see polygamy throughout. And, you know, why would God endorse such a thing? So to answer the question, did God endorse polygamy in the, in the Old Testament? Uh, the short answer is no. God did not endorse it. And matter of fact, when we read the Bible, it's important to understand that, that we're, we're reading the very words of God, but it's also important to recognize that we're also reading history. The history is there. And what I love about the Bible is the Bible doesn't hold anything back. It doesn't hide any things. It doesn't take the parts of the, uh, the things that we would probably be ashamed of our life and kind of keep those from the journal. It puts everything out there. But it's also important to recognize that just because something is recorded as history, it doesn't mean that God endorses it. It doesn't mean that God approves everything that has happened in history. And as it relates to polygamy, uh, polygamy was common in the ancient world. And unfortunately, it was, it was common with Old Testament leaders as well. But again, it was never endorsed by God. God's plan for marriage was laid out in the very beginning with Adam and Eve. It was meant to be one man and one woman. That's God's ordained, his plan for marriage. In fact, when the Bible re records polygamous relationships, there are always, always problems with this. And it was a problem here for Elkanah, and it caused problems for King David and King Solomon. If you read it, you're like, yep. And in the New Testament, God makes it very clear that through Jesus now in the New Covenant, he is restoring through Jesus his plan and his order for our lives and in fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1, it says that polygamous relationships, that disqualifies a person from spiritual relationships. Or from spiritual leadership, I'm sorry, going through. But right here, Hannah is giving us a front row to her pain. She received less, she was made fun of, as so often happens with those who've been pushed to the margins. See, Hannah's position in pain was minimized and often misunderstood by those around. And this is very common for people that have been pushed to the margins. We often, we're often so far removed from them that we misunderstand them, and then because we misunderstand them, we often minimize what they're going through. And this is clearly revealed in Hannah's husband's response. Listen, listen to his response. Okay, so Elkanah, this is her husband. He looks at her and he says, why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. <laughs> and I, every time I read that this past week, I did what you did. I laughed out loud. And, and then he says something even, um, I'm going to use a biblical word, stupid. It's going to, he says something, something even more stupid. He says, he says isn't, isn't that, I mean, isn't having me? Better than having 10 sons? <laughs> well, again, this has to be one of the dumbest responses to someone's pain, right? In other words, he walked up and said, Hannah, why are you crying? Let's turn that frown upside down. You ever, have you ever heard that before, right? But before we jump on this bandwagon of, of trying to jump on and saying, Elkanah, what a loser, how many have said stupid things like that before? Just me, all right. <laughs> liar, liar, pants on fire, okay? 
No one else has said stupid things. I, I would say this. You may even need to turn the person right now to you and say, I'm so sorry for saying something stupid this past week. So I can look at Stephanie and say, Stephanie, I'm sorry for saying so many stupid things in our marriage. Because, yeah, <laughs> oh, thank you, Stephen. I have, an, I have another honest person here. Thank you, Stephen. We all say stupid things. And so here's a very short lesson in responding to someone in pain because we're, we're, we're going to be, we are surrounded. We're walking with people in pain. And this is a great opportunity. That first of all, when we're walking with someone in pain, the first thing we need to remember is it is so important that we do not shame them by questioning their pain. Amen? You never shame somebody by asking a question, especially here in the body of Christ. When someone's going through pain, we never want to shame them by asking the question. Right? Why are you crying? Why are you not eating? See, before we try to remove the pain, before we try to to speak to the pain, it's important that we try to understand the pain that they're walking through. I mean, every good doctor, before they try to medicate or try to bring in a solution to you, what do they do? They ask questions. They take x-rays. They try to analyze and to see what, what is going on. If you want to be a great healer, the first thing you need to be is a great listener. I mean, how many times does it bring so much comfort to somebody by just having a listening ear? Just being willing to sit down and say, tell me what's going on in your life. And whenever you're ready, or I, I just want to be with you. I want to walk through this right now. See, some of the greatest healing comes from someone just having that listening ear. And the second thing I would say about this is, if it's a godly desire that someone has, Hannah had a godly desire. She had a burden of a child. It was a God-given burden. It's important that we don't try to replace it. Instead, we need to offer help in carrying it. I heard one pastor say this during COVID as he was giving direction and coaching to people. He said, he said one of the, sometimes one of the best things you can do for somebody who's hurting and come along and say, is there a piece of this that I can help you carry today? Isn't that a wonderful response? I'm not saying I understand it. I'm not saying I have the answers, but how can I walk with you in this today? See, her husband dismissed her. He said, stop crying, focus on me. But how sad if he tried to come in and just replace that burden that God had given her. See, when we, when we recognize the calling in someone's life, Hannah had this calling. She had this burden that was placed there from God. When we recognize a calling in someone's life, it is so important that we look for ways to walk alongside of them in a struggle because with every calling, there's going to come a struggle. And our job is to come along and say, how can I walk with you in this? How can I pray with you in this? How can I just be with you in this moment? See, this is what Jesus promised. Jesus promised that when we go through trouble, he doesn't always come in and just remove it all, but he says that when you walk through the fire, I will be with you. When you walk through the waters, I will be with you. When you go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. As disciples of Christ, our commitment to each other is to be with each other, to be there with them. See, when I'm hurting, I don't need a fixer, I need a friend. How many would say yes? I need a friend. As a matter of fact, it's in those moments that friendships are created. It's in those moments that friendships are cemented. Because when I was in my deepest dark moment, you were with me. You came to me. You called me. You didn't try to fix it. You just tried to be there with me. Now, there's a time for all that. And there's times the Lord will speak words to you. There's times that God will speak prophetically to you. But when I'm in the dumps, I need someone to be there with me and to walk with me. Because a lot of times, I may even know the answer. Other times that you've known the answer, but you're just like, this stinks. 
that stinks. I just need someone to go walk this through with me. So how did Hannah respond to being treated this way? What was her response? This burden from God, this calling from God. She's being taunted. She's being minimized by her husband. She's being given not as much as some others are. Her response? She ran to the Father. She ran to God. See, even though she was ridiculed, even though she was taunted, every Bible says every time she went, to, she went to the tabernacle, she was taunted. She continued to go. See, Hannah, she didn't confuse her fellow worshipers with God. She didn't confuse them with who God was. See, the Bible records that every year, Penanah would taunt Hannah, would make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. The Bible says year after year, and sometimes people are confused that there are mean people at church. This is something else I hear, you know, that I'll, I'll, I'll hear sometimes from people. I thought they were a Christian. Why are they so mean? Why are there people at church that aren't perfect? <laughs> right? It's important to remind ourselves that the church is not an exclusive club where only the perfect people can come in and be a part. If that was the case, there'd be no church. If that was the case, there'd be no pastors. Everybody perfect, raise your hand. No one's, this is not about being perfect. See, we are, we are gathering here today because we're following Jesus. We have a hunger for Jesus Christ and to worship him. Or maybe you're here today just because you're curious about it. Or maybe you're here today because your mom's here and she said, do you love your mom? Come to church with me. Okay, mom. Good job, mom. Yeah. <laughs> See, being here today, it doesn't make us perfect. Being here today, it makes us family. Those are the words that Jesus used. Throughout Scripture, when it comes to the body of Christ, when it comes to the church, Jesus used words of family. He used words like friendship. And just like every family, there are people here at different stages. See, when you go to a family, you will see babies there. You will see children there. Do you know what babies and children do? Volunteer in the nursery. You'll see what happens. Sometimes they cry. Now, they bring a lot of joy. They bring a lot of excitement. There's new birth. This is exciting. There's nothing like holding a baby. But babies also have diapers because they make a lot of mess. Babies sometimes throw up. Babies sometimes cry. Sometimes they make a fuss. Babies can always be reasoned with. Have you ever tried to reason with a baby? Why are you doing this? <laughs> right? But, but fortunately, we also have mature adults. We have moms and dads and aunts and uncles and cousins and brothers and sisters that help come in to raise that baby up. And they understand. They don't look at the baby and go, how dare you mess up your diaper? How dare you throw up? How dare you cry? They don't do that, right? They say, no, we love you. We're encouraging you. We're walking through. Are you crying because you're hungry? Are you crying because of this? This is how the family operates. So we shouldn't think it's strange when that happens. And sometimes even our uncles, there's, there's, there's crazy Uncle Eddie's everywhere, right? How many got that reference? Right. It's part of it. We're all walking at different levels, but the family says, you're my brother, you're my sister. We are going to be together in this. That no matter what, I love you. And because I love you, I'm going to help you. I'm going to walk with you in this. See, that's why we say that we're about... We're becoming and making disciples of Jesus as we gather, grow, and go because we recognize it's a process. We're gathering together. We're growing together. We go together. 
and we're becoming all at the same time making. Even parents, right? You, you don't wait until you're a perfect parent before you raise a child because you would never have a child. It's on-the-job training. So welcome. You are being trained right now in what it means to be a family in the body of Christ. And I would say this, you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. Stay in it. And it seemed like Hannah understood this because she was faithful and committed in her response to God because in spite of her infertility, Hannah was a woman of faith. When I was going through all the commentaries and preparing for today, I, I, I saw this thread with commentators that, that what one commentator said, that, that Hannah was the most pious woman in the Old Testament because Hannah is shown as going to the Lord's house and this commentator pointed out that no other woman in the Old Testament was mentioned and pulled out for doing this. This one commentator even said that Hannah is the only woman shown making and fulfilling a vow to the Lord. And that she, she's the only woman who is specifically said to pray. And her prayer is the longest recorded in the Old Testament. Furthermore, her prayer includes the most recorded utterances of Yahweh's God's name 18 times. See, like so many other great people of faith in the Bible, Hannah knew that nothing was impossible for God. Hannah, she didn't allow her situation to separate her from God. Her posture was continually one of surrender. It was continually one of worship to God because that's what true worship is. As we sang earlier, I'm laying it all down. I'm, I'm making room for you. Lord, I surrender. I lay everything. That's what worship is. If you're not doing that, all you're doing is you're watching somebody else worship. You're not engaging with it. Engaging in worship is surrendering, it's laying it down, it's giving everything. This is what was required of Hannah. See, throughout Scripture, we see that there's always a cost to obeying God. That when God positions us to be used by Him, there will be pain involved. So much to the fact to where if following Jesus costs me nothing, I need to stop myself and say, Am I following Jesus? Because there's a cost involved. I mean, just like your car. If your car never runs out of gas, you need to ask yourself, have I driven that car anywhere? (laughs) Unless you have an electric car, God bless you guys. (laughs) Wisdom on your part. See, growth in our life, and this is what Hannah experienced. She experienced that growth in our life, it doesn't happen without pain. See, in every area of our life, whether it's intellectually, physically, relationally, spiritually, growth will be painful. It requires something of us. In fact, the more that we resist, our pain is often increased because we're rubbing against it. Whether the pain of the moment or the pain of missing an opportunity that God gives to us. See, it's so interesting to me that as we go through this study together, it's interesting on how so many great leaders in the Bible were born out of great pain and struggle, that what Hannah was experiencing was not unusual. There were so many moms that suffered through this. See, Isaac. Isaac was born to Sarah. Sarah was a woman who was too old and was barren. Jacob was born to Isaac and Rebekah, who also was barren. And Joseph was born to Jacob and Rachel, who was also barren. See, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph were all born to women who were biologically barren. And you got to ask the question, why would God do this? Why is God doing this? See, if we knew someone was destined for greatness, if we knew there's an important assignment from the Lord, we would work so hard to protect them, to preserve them, to put them in the best schools, to have everything that they need, to, to have the resume that is there. This is what we would do. We would probably try to make the path as easy and straight as, we po- as could be possible. 
But unfortunately, we would forfeit what that person would need because obstacles prepare us. When there's an obstacle in our life, it prepares us. When you look at every person that goes through, when you look at the Marines, they go through obstacle course after obstacle course. We have some young men from this church now that have gone through boot camp and they're serving. And they'll often show pictures of another obstacle course to get them ready, to get them strengthened. See, we're always prepared by obstacles. See, we want them to be moved, but God rarely shields us. And the reason why he rarely shields us is because we need them. We need to be prepared. We need to see God's word applied in our life. God's not called us to live out a theory of God. He's called us to live out the reality of God in our life. And that is feet on the ground, step by step, where God is walking with us through pain. See, this only happens as we walk through these obstacles, overcoming them through the power of God. This is how God is revealed in our lives. I love how C.S. Lewis says, C.S. Lewis says that hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. If you want an extraordinary destiny, you're saying, God, use me, God, prepare me, then there will be obstacles and hardships to get you ready. See, opportunity will always come with struggle. If you remove the struggle, then you will often remove the opportunity. They go hand in hand. Talk to any of our recent college graduates. <laughs> They'll talk to you about struggle. It goes hand in hand. And how we handle the struggle, it determines how we move forward. Either taking possession of the promised land or we're going to do 40 more years here, guys. Because we need to learn it. See, God's will in our life is only achieved through God's power in our life. We cannot achieve God's call without God. There's no way we can do this. All these circumstances, all these challenges that come into our lives, they're meant to strengthen us and to prepare us. That's why James 1 says, to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Pure joy whenever you face trials, because you know that the testing of your faith, it produces what? Perseverance. Who needs perseverance? We all do. Because there's times when we're advancing, there's times when we're going forward, and things are clicking in, and the numbers are there. But have you ever come to those times in your life when you feel, I'm just holding the line. (laughs) I'm just persevering. If the ship goes down, I'm going down with it. (laughs) There's so many times when just holding the line, when just being faithful, just being present, that's a win. I discovered that a lot during COVID. And there were times that God just spoke to me and said, Dwayne, you're being faithful. You're showing up. You're being there. You're holding the line. It's perseverance. But James goes on to say, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be what? Mature, complete, not lacking anything. This is the cost. This is the way. If you want perseverance, if you want to be mature, if you want to be complete, not lacking anything, then consider it all joy. Everyone's, if everyone's going through pain, just let out a big yay. Yay. <laughs> it's tough, isn't it? And Paul says in Romans 8.28, I love this. Paul says what? And we know that God causes everything. Read that with me. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. That good, that conformity to Christ. See, that word good there, 
It's that we're being conformed to the image of Christ, that we're being made more like Jesus. And conforming, that's a tough and painful process. Have you ever tried to conform something, something that wouldn't quite fit and you got to conform it? That's a painful process, isn't it? You got to change, you got to adapt. There's things you got to take away, there's things you got to add, there's things you got to kind of trim from the side because it didn't quite fit in. Conforming is tough, but the results are amazing. See, Hannah realized this. And as the worship team comes, I want you to listen to this prayer of Hannah. This prayer, and I encourage you to go in, and if you've been in the Immersed Groups, you've probably read it already. If you're going through it this week, you're about to go through it. But boy, read this prayer of, of Hannah. Hannah's prayer was this. She said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My heart rejoices in the Lord. Read that next sentence with me. The Lord has made me strong. Say it again. The Lord has made me strong. What a, what, what a word. What a word. That was the word spoken to Joshua that we, we, that we talked about two weeks ago, right? What did he say? Be strong and courageous. Hannah prayed, now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Wow. When you go through the water, when you go through the fire, never be afraid. The Lord is with you. He's made a promise to never leave you, to never forsake you. Can you imagine how Hannah felt holding little Samuel? <laughs> all those years of taunting, all those years of just all the stuff. Of stupid things being said to her. But at every turn, God, you are my rock. God, you are my rock. God, you've, you've put this desire in me. You've placed this in me. I'm following you. I'm trusting you. And now to pray, my heart rejoices. <laughs> The Lord has made me strong. Amen. If you want to be strong in the Lord, would you stand with me today and just pray that prayer, Lord, make me strong. Do your work in me. Lord, remove from me anything that's in the way. Empty me, O oh God, so that I may be filled with you. Show me the things I need to let go of so that I can be filled with the presence of God. Lord, I pray that you would help us that when we walk through difficult times that we wouldn't confuse difficulty with an absence of God, but we, that we would lean in to the opportunity to experience that fullness, that presence of God, whatever it is. In your name, Jesus. Amen. On this Mother's Day, we want to give you an opportunity to respond. An opportunity to respond. We have prayer teams here. You know, these people, they've prayed for you already. <laughs> They're waiting for you. And maybe your step today is just stepping out and saying, Stephen Deanne, would you pray with me? Deck and Marianne, would you just pray with me today? Bring it to the Lord with them. Or maybe your response is going to one of the communion tables and just taking that and saying, Lord, I know you died for me. 
Let that life be in me. And as I die for you, Lord, that I would experience that life. Or maybe you need to turn somebody that you came with today or someone that you know today and say, Can, would you pray with me? But let's respond. And one of the things I, I felt like the, the Lord would have us identify is we need to identify what obstacles are in your life today. As we recognize that these obstacles are used by God to strengthen us. What obstacles are in your life today? And as it relates to these obstacles, ask yourself, are they drawing me closer to God? Or am I fighting against God's desire to work all things to the good? Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you today. And then that last one, what steps do you need to take in your walk with God? What step do you need to take? And let me encourage you to take it. Take your first step here by reaching out to those around you. Let's spend some time seeking the Lord. Allow him to make you stronger today. Engage with the body of Christ. Find someone, pray with them. Receive communion today as the worship team leads us. I love that line, on the canvas and the clay. You're not the paint. <laughs> you're not the brush. And I know for us, for Stephanie and I, you know, as we, we graduated college, we're married, and we had all the excitements, and we had a plan. We'll be in a church for a couple of years, then we'll start having children, then we'll start doing this, and, that, you know, they'll be this and they'll be all that. And then we went through eight years of infertility and pain. And it seemed like I was surrounded by people like Elkanah <laughs> in the middle of it. And, here's, and this, this is one of, the, one of the things that the Lord really pulled out to me. Dwayne, you're the canvas. I'll bring the paint. I'll bring the brush. I'll bring all of that. And it was painful and it was difficult and there were a lot of moments when I thought I was letting go of things, but I really wasn't letting go of things. You ever been there? I gave it to God, and you go home at night, and you're like, no, nah, I didn't really give it to God. <laughs> How about this color, God? You know? And our story is that now, you know, four kids later, we're, we're, we're just praying for one. God, would you trust us with one? <laughs> And just a beautiful story that we could have never painted, could have never done. And we're still walking it out. We're still discovering it. We're still. And not because I was perfect. You know, Stephanie's closer to perfect than I am. But, but it's that constant reminder of. My security is found in God. My hope is found in God. My. Identity is found in God. And Lord, whatever happens, I'm trusting you. In these obstacles, Lord, use them. Help me, surround me. And let me encourage you this week that as you walk out and as that idea of that canvas, don't carry that alone. Find a group, find somebody, engage with somebody. And if somebody comes to you saying something like to talk to you about, your, your number one chief job is to do what? Listen. Right? That's not a time to pull out your notebook. Here's all the answers I've been writing down, just waiting somebody to ask, right? Listen lovingly. What piece of this can I carry with you today? How can I walk with you in this? Find somebody. The Lord is pleased with that, amen? Thank you for being with us. This is our benediction. Let's say this together. Let's say this together, our benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you 
the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you, give you peace.